Welcome to Science Radio, a space where we chat about culture, belief, wellness, and current events, all through the lens of faith. Okay, well, hello, everybody, and welcome to a very, very special live stream. Uh, it's been a while since we've done one of these, and uh, I'm really excited to be able to join all of you fine folks, wherever you are watching from whether you're watching this live or whether you are watching this after the fact or listening to it on our podcast, a very warm welcome to all of you. My name's Jesse. I'll be your host today. And I am super stoked to be able to introduce to you our very special guest, Robbie Bergen. Welcome to the podcast and the live stream, Robbie. Hey, thanks for having me, Jess. This is a real treat to be able to do something with you live on air and on demand, I, I guess. I, there's there's a real cross-section, <laughs> I have to say, between what we do day-to-day. -day. You're in radio. Everybody can see the, the Faith FM logos behind you. I'm in print media and podcasting. So, yeah, it's we're, we're doing all sorts of cool stuff. Um, if uh, you fine folks at home aren't aware of who Robbie is, uh, he is a sought-after, this is according to your website, Robbie, a sought-after international speaker and <laughs> Bible prophecy teacher. Uh, you've lectured, I, so I, I've heard, in more than 30 countries all around the world on a variety of biblical themes. Um, you've got degrees in engineering, religion, and computer science, and you've lived in four different countries uh, studying world cultures and religions, and you've also appeared in a number of documentaries, TV shows, and radio programs, and you're the host of the podcast, The Faith Experiment. That is, that's quite a laundry list, my friend. Yeah, well, you know, that's what people write about you when they want to, um, you know, tell you, tell people what you what you do and give you some sort of credentials. But at the end of the day, I'm just Robbie, and I've, um, I'm just living the best <laughs> life I've got. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, um, I'm, I'm really stoked that we can sit down yeah. and have this conversation. Um, for those of you who are uh, not in the know, Robbie wrote an article for us uh, at Signs of the Times. Um, about his story and sort of his journey into faith, uh, which is quite the story, uh, which is why we're talking about it today. Uh, and you can find that uh, at signsofthetimes.org.au. So if you haven't uh, read his story or listened to his story or watched his story, I know that it's something that's been broadcasted uh, many different times, many different places. Um, that's a great starting point, but we will be digging uh, deep into that story this evening. Uh, before we get started, I'd like to do a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, first of all, if you are watching the live stream right now, just let us know where you're watching from. If you're on Facebook or on YouTube, uh, we'd love to know. Uh, this is obviously an international broadcasting platform. So uh, give us a shout out and we'll say hi. Um, if you have any questions uh, for Robbie, uh, for anything that we talk about, this evening, uh, feel free to leave a comment uh, in the chat box wherever you're watching from. And um, if we have some time at the end, we can uh, definitely get to some of those questions. Um, so yeah, if you have a, a question, just leave it in the chat. Um, the other thing that I will mention, and this is a lot, so we'll, we'll get to the meat of the conversation, I, I, I promise. Um, <laughs> we uh, have a special offer for all of our listeners and our viewers uh, for the live stream and uh, even for a little bit afterward, we have some issues of the Signs of the Times magazine, the August issue in which Robbie's story appeared, 2023. 
um, that that Robbie has for us, and he's going to tell us all about at the very end how you can get yourself a a free copy of that magazine. There's no catch. There's no sort of uh, hidden fees or anything like that. Um, if you are a viewer of this live stream or listening to the podcast, we have a, uh, a free magazine just for you. So stick around to the very end and uh, you will make sure that you know exactly how to take advantage of that offer. So with all that being said, Robbie, let's, I think, start talking about you. It's all about you tonight, uh, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I feel really awkward, but okay. <laughs> well, that's okay. We're all, we're all here together. It's 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 one of those things. It's one of those things like when you when you have a, a story of how God's worked in your life, and you know, it resonates with a lot of people. You find people always want to talk about it, but you always feel like, well, it's just I'm just a regular person with a regular story. But yeah, I get it. And um, like, I want to give a big shout out to Signs for um, inviting me to write my story. It's I think it's the first time I've actually published it in print. Uh, I've done a number of different um, like live presentations of it. I've had it um, obviously on radio, but this is the first time it's been printed. So um, thanks for basically forcing me <laughs> to write it out. Uh, my wife, my wife, you wanted me to write something out for a number of years, but I've just never gotten around to it. And then you guys provide the perfect opportunity. So I, I actually enjoy putting it down into some words and uh yeah hopefully it blesses someone resonates with someone yeah, out there yeah that's awesome i didn't know that was the first time that you'd written it down so that's that's even more special yeah that's yeah. really cool um yep. okay so robbie there are three things that i want to talk about tonight and we'll talk about more but these are the three things that i'd like to just sort of tease our audience with a little bit i want to talk uh, about a mirror i want to talk about a storm and i want to talk about I was going to say a tower, but it's really two towers, and I think that might clue people in as to what <laughs> we might be referring to there. Um, but before yeah. we get to all that, um, could you tell us a little bit about um, your childhood, your upbringing? What was life like for you to set the stage for the, the story that we're about to experience together? Yeah, look... Um Nothing special. I grew up in, I was born into a regular Aussie home. I was born in Sydney. Um, my parents, on my mum's side, on both sides, my mum's parents, they go all the way back to England. So they trace their roots wow. to the first fleet. As uh, One side was convict, one side was free uh, free settlers. So that's <laughs> the claim, the fame on mum's side. And my dad's side, um, my dad's mum's side is all English and a bit of German and different things. And my dad's dad's side, uh, goes back to Norway with the Vikings. So we like to play up the Norwegian <laughs> side of it from time to time. Um, but yeah, look, born in, born in Sydney. Um, my parents were very young when they, when they got married. They were 19, uh, which I guess was somewhat popular back in the day. Um, when they got married, they, got, they, got, they became Christian to get married in a ah. Christian church. Um, but by the time I was about one and a half, my parents were... Just regular, secular Australians, I guess. Um, and growing up as a kid, yeah, I mean, they, they, we had, we had the occasional time when you, you know, you say grace and things like that, probably like, you know, about age five and so on. But then by the time we got to, I got to about 10, my parents, my dad had got involved pretty heavily into using marijuana and stuff like that. Like he was, 
he was a sales guy, high pressure job. Like he wasn't sort mm. of the down and out drug user. He was kind of like the more corporate drug user. So he was into all that sort of stuff. Um, my mum was a nurse, and by the time yeah, by the time I was about ten, they kind of yeah, there was no trace of any any of the grace. So we weren't saying grace or stuff like that. We had some relatives that were Christians, but we never really saw them. They lived in Sydney. We so when I was two, my parents moved to Townsville to get away from oh, wow. the family, which is about as far as you can get <laughs> from Sydney. So growing up as kids, we kind of saw grandparents like every three years. It was sort of like that. Um, but earlier, look, great a great childhood growing up. I just you know I remember watching Star Wars as a little kid um, in the very early eighties. Um, my dad was big into movies, into American sports cars. We were into you know rugby league camping on the mm-hmm. beach, all that sort of stuff. So pretty pretty typical. You know, if there is a typical Aussie sort of upbringing, like I like to think that that's what I had. But in terms of faith, like as far as back as I can remember, like in terms of like primary school, like later part of primary school, all of high school, I really remember, like I never went into the uh, like religious education classes in, and my professed belief was nothing. Like not necessarily atheist, like I would define it as atheist now, but at the time it was just kind of like, I don't believe in anything. And then by the time I got to science, because I did all the science classes in high school, I remember one particular day, I think it was grade nine or grade 10 um, in high school, and our science teacher was asking a question like, so where do you guys think clouds come from? And I remember there was one kid in our class, he was a Lutheran kid from memory, and um, he goes, God makes them. And that was enough for the, the, the teacher didn't believe in God, and he shredded this kid for that comment, right? To the point where it stood out to me all these years. Like that's probably like wow. 30 years ago now. And yet I still remember that moment thinking, man, I don't ever want to say anything dumb about like religion and science oh. together because of the way this kid got shredded. So like there's moments like that. And I just I just sort of have these little flashbacks um, of going through school and things like that. But it wasn't until I went to um, study second, like university so level after I left secondary school. And I went into civil engineering. And very like very heavy science based stuff, you know. Like um, it's just you you end up the narrative is the same in most universities today that um, if you do anything that's it's not even science these days, but you you get the narrative that everything is explained through evolution or through science or through a big bang, and so it just reinforces the already sort of loose narrative you're picking up as you're growing up as a kid in Australia anyway. So by the time I, I became a thinking person for myself, you know, like late teens, early twenties, I I just had this position that, yeah, look, it makes sense. There's nothing out there that's not explainable with science, with physics. Um, and if it's not physical, if you can't physically touch it, then you've probably not got anything worthwhile mm. promoting. And so when people used to come knock on our doors as they did from time to time, trying to sell us the Jesus story, you know, um, I'd do my best to throw some curlies at them and make them run away in tears and those sorts of things. And it, it kind of fitted the narrative too because all all my friends, like my classmates I went to school, like my best my best friends, they were all non-believing secular Aussies as well. Um, I had a girlfriend at the time who was, uh, her, she was half Chinese, half American, and her American side was um, anti-religion and the Chinese side was, you know, not necessarily communist, but mm. from communist mindset where there is no God. So my whole universe in my like late teens, early twenties was 
there was no space or place for anything supernatural or what we would call mm. metaphysical. Like it had to be tangible, it had to be physical, and it had to be arg- arguable. So, you know, so that was my mm. sort of my mindset. Um, and so, the, you know, the three things you, you brought up, those three in defining moments is how I refer to them, they are all connected, interconnected over a series of about eight months of time. So there was a mirror in a nightclub, there was mm. a, a storm out in a field, and then there was the towers. And it was these three things that sort of happened in the space of about eight months that led me, or it created the catalyst that led me on a journey that I now refer to as my faith experiment. And I'm still on that journey after 20-something years. But um, do you want to walk yeah. you through those Yeah, the one thing, I, there's one thing I did now? want to pick up on, which I didn't realize before, but the, what you're describing your experience pre-faith experiment or pre-catalyst, I suppose, we're talking late ni- mid-late 90s. Is that sort of the era we're talking yeah, yeah, late nineties, late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah. So, so that def- I was so just going to say, what I didn't put together before was, I suppose you know, often we talk about an individualized experience, but we're also unknowingly products of the eras that we we live in. And when I'm thinking of the mid late nineties, that's like typical Westerner in the nineties. You know, the the Seinfeld era, life is good. Stock prices yes. are always going up. Uh, you know the 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 pool, the white picket fence, the 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 Holden Commodore. Like that's it's like that's a good time to be a you know a Western you know middle class sort of person in this era, right? So it, it's almost un- completely yeah. unsurprising that this is your experience, right? Yeah. Well, you don't need God, um, and that's exactly my story. Like I. I um I was working in a in the dot dot com era, so it was the you know the peak was mm-hmm. not quite there yet. It hit sort of late two thousand two uh, two thousand one, but the like it was it was golden time. So I I started in civil engineering, but my passion was always IT. But there was no real IT industry, and my guidance counselor in high school said, <laughs> "Don't do IT. There's you have to go to NASA to work for IT." So. Like no yeah. vision, and this is the mid uh, early nineteen nineties. I was sort of setting up for that, and so um, I went into civil engineering. But my passion was IT, and so then when the sort of the the IT thing started happening, sort of mid nineties, um, it created an opportunity for me to just sort of use my skill set and experiences to do development uh, for engineering companies, and so they were paying through the roof back then. Like some guys I was working with you'd get like $1,300 a day back then in the wow. mid-1990s, right? Like even today, you, you can't get that these days anymore because there's so many people in IT. So, it was it was the boom time. Like, I mean, for it, put it in context, right? I had my third brand new car by the yeah, time wow. I was 21. I had um, bought bought my uh, block of land and had designed the house and had the house built by the end of 2000. Um, and by the time I was 22, I was earning more than my mother and father <laughs> combined. My dad was a sales, like yeah, a wow. senior sales manager. My mum was a like a 20, 20 year yeah. nurse veteran. So it was a good place to be in. And exactly what you said, like life was Seinfeld. Life was the um, the big day out, like the music festivals. It was backpacking around Europe. It was you know Asia. It was just living, living, you know, living the life sort of thing. Um, but like even saying all that, like at the time, there were plenty of dark moments like even my own experience where 
because I guess because you're so young and you acquire wealth so quickly. By the way, uh, full disclosure, I don't have any of that wealth anymore. It's all, <laughs> it's all disappeared. It. I lost most of it um, in this journey, but it would have been great to hang on to it. But anyway, um, what I was going to say is, is that even in the, the acquisition of wealth so young and you know, the success in careers and things like that and you know, traveling the world, blah, 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 there's plenty of moments where there's a sense that everything's mm. not right. Even though everything looks right, everything you know seems right, there's just a feeling, there's an mm. unsettledness. And you, you don't know whether it's because you don't trust the people you're hanging out with, if they're just with you because you know they know you got money or you got influence or whatever it is. Like you just, there's always this sun, undertone of distrust, right? And so I had that, but you sort of shake it off with another drink or another, another club, another, you know, shake it off with something. So all of that was sort of, that's how I was doing life up to, up to the beginning mm. of the millennium. And then change the millennium, it was like a new, a vibe in the era air for those who were around back then. It's funny because I talk these days about this and some some of the young people I yeah. talked to, they weren't even born. You know? <laughs> it's like makes me feel super yeah. old. But like I remember that the like New Year's mm. Eve nineteen ninety nine, like there was this uncertainty of whether the banks would still mm. work, you know. The white case sort, of sort of paranoia. Yeah. Like yeah. I, that's how I made money. I made money writing code to solve Y two K for engineering companies. Yeah. That's exactly how I made the money. So we, yeah. But anyway, so where, where the story starts is it was probably around about February uh, 2000, the year 2000, um, that I was engaged and we were sort of planning our life. We, the house was being built and you know, planning wedding and all that sort of stuff. And everything, everything on paper seemed fine. But it's funny because before we got engaged, we never really fought. And as soon as we got engaged, we started fighting. And it was kind of weird, right? So I was in this space of like, what are we doing? Like, is this a good good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. And anyway, so another couple of months go by and everything sort of, you know, sorts itself out. It's like relationships up and down, up and down. But one night, um, we decide we're going to go hang out at a nightclub. So caught best mate. He's got a girlfriend. So we double date, right? So we're going to, this is in Brisbane here in Australia. And we go to the club. And it's a club I used to go to all the time. Like every other weekend, we go to the same club. And there's like a circuit you go around and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, so we're in this one thing. And in February in Brisbane, if you know Brisbane, yeah. it's pretty hot. Um, the hot summer nights and you get that humidity and stuff. And then you get into a club and there's like, you know, a couple hundred people on dan dance floors and stuff. And I wasn't a big dancer, but like you hang out with, in clubs with people dancing. So you get hot and yes, like this. So you kind of go, I want to get some water in my face. Just cool down a little bit, right? So... I go into this the bathroom there, the men's room there, and you know it's the typical um, what they call oh, it, yeah. black light. So it's got like that, yeah, that yeah, bluey yeah. vibe, uh, purpley vibe, kind of psychedelic. And walk and in there and yeah, all that sort of stuff, right? So you walk in there and you, you know, put my head into the down near the faucet and I'm or the, the tap and I'm splashing my face with water, right? Just trying to cool down. And when I stand up, and the first thing you look into when you stand in front of a bathroom sink is the mirror right yeah. you're looking into the mirror when i look into the mirror there's someone standing like right behind me so i'm seeing this in the mirror right now a bit of a backstory to this is is that i was in martial arts at the time i'd been doing it for about six or seven years at that point and so i i kind of like to go out and you know cause a bit of trouble and have a bit of fun pushing people around and fighting stuff and so if you know anything about guys in nightclubs in bathrooms you don't mm. get close to them right it's a perfect opportunity for a bit yeah. of a push and shove 
So this, there's someone behind me. So I turn around and I'm going to give this person a piece of my mind, right? So I turn around and there's nothing there. And I'm like, what? So I look, turn right back, look into the mirror. So I, like I'm sort of looking behind myself and I turn back around, look in the mirror. And it's they're still standing there. And you know, people have asked me over the years as I've shared this story, like, mm-hmm. what did you see? It, the easiest way to describe it is kind of picture like the shape of a person, but it's a dark, shadowy figure of a person. And remember, this is like in a nightclub where it's kind of yeah. dark anyway. And it's kind of like there's a presence of a dark, shadowy person, but you can't like make out features. You can't see eyes and face, facial. It's just sort of this dark presence behind you, right? And so it's to me, it was clearly it was somebody. But I turn around the, the second time and there's nothing there. So I start yelling. I, you know, I think someone's running into the stall, the bathroom stall while I'm turning around or something. So I turn back in the mirror and sure so enough, it's still there. Peop- and so now I'm People are walking it out. by this whole time. Yes. Yeah, there's people in the bathroom. Yeah. In addition Holy to this moly. thing. And it's just like, imagine like, you know, all the, all the foot traffic's up and behind you because yeah. you're standing at the sink. And then right over my shoulder is like, it's like someone's there with sort of the presence yeah. there, the head down sort of thing. It's almost like they're wearing some yeah. sort of hoodie or something, like that kind of vibe, you know. And so every time I turn around, there's nothing there except, you know, the passing person or whatever. And so I'm I'm starting to lose it because, like, I used to drink, like binge drink and stuff like that, but to the point where I it didn't affect me. Like, I know that sounds retarded if you've not done this sort of thing before, but, like, I had about seven years of just partying hard and to the point where I could drink Mass excessive amounts of alcohol and not really have a much of a an impact. Although I wouldn't drive, obviously. But um, so I started thinking, man, someone spiked my drink and I'm hallucinating. Right. Like that's where my headspace was, right? And so I turn around, and I start cursing and swearing this at this thing, and then I get the only way I can describe it. It's like someone threw a blanket over me, like that feeling, like not physically, but just a blanket, like a, something just caught me up and. Mm. bundled me up and then this thought comes to my head and it's the thought is you can run but you can't hide and that's i I definitely had the feeling it was from this dark Mm. shadowy figure like this is where the thought's coming from right so i feel like i'm trapped up and the impression is you can run but you can't hide and you're mine like that's it and like i was probably 23 Mm. at the Mm. time somewhere around there and i was just like all I want to do was run and scream. Like, that's all I wanted to do. And I, I'm a dude that was fighting in rings, so semi-professional in um, Muay Thai kickboxing and stuff like that. So, I wasn't like, a, you know, a pansy or a afraid or anything like that. I was kind yeah. of like pretty pumped. But this was something I had never experienced before. So, I did what anyone watching or listening would do. I ran. <laughs> <laughs> I ran straight out of there as fast as I could, found my, my girlfriend and my friend's and I said, guys, we're out of here. Let's get out of here. And they're like, what's wrong? Come on, let's get yeah. out of here. Let's just get out. I'll tell you yeah. outside of the club. So we got out in the street. And then I noticed as soon as I started to, like, I was going to tell them what just happened, I noticed how stupid it sounds <laughs> before I said it. I'm like, I ran out of the nightclub because I saw something mm. in a mirror. Like, yeah, that was my story. And I was like, okay, never mind. Let's just go somewhere else. I had enough there. And so th- I didn't mm. actually tell them what happened. And I'm just thinking, what has happened? And I'm like trying to, you know, put my hands up and count my fingers, make sure I'm not hallucinating because sometimes you hallucinate with stuff. You've got different finger counts and all sort of weird stuff, right? So, I'm just like, what was this? I don't know what this was. But there's this the feeling that I took out of there was your mind, you can run, but you can't hide. Your mind, you can run, but you can't hide. Like, it wouldn't, I couldn't shake it. Even though I left the presence mm. of whatever it was, 
um, it, it just wouldn't leave me. So I, I came to the conclusion. This is how I rationalize that because I'm trying to be mm. rational here, right? I'm not a believer of ghosts and demonic forces and all that sort of stuff. My, my rational brain was I had to have been spiked. My drink had to have been spiked or um, you know, maybe, maybe I ate something that's tainted with something, like laced with something. Like Anyway, that's how I rationalize it because how else could exactly. you explain this thing that's there but it's not there and this overarching sort of impression. So I decided there and then, okay, to play this safe, I'm not doing any th- substances, anything for like the next couple of, you know, I don't know, months. Didn't really put a time period on it, but I'm just, I'm just going to be done with it because I thought maybe I've just partied too hard and I've just screwed up some brain cells or something. Like that's, it was that real that I was just like, okay, I don't mm. want to experience that again. So, that's kind of this first moment. Now, the next couple of weeks, maybe months, I'm in, um, you know, going to work. I'm working in a corporate job, going back and forward to, you know, working in you know, level level eight of an office block in Brisbane. And I'm a white collar worker, right? But every time I'm on the train going in and out, I'm just got this thought, there is something, is there something in this or is mm-hmm. there something not in this? So, you yeah. just try to bury it. But it's haunting thought, you this right? entire time. Like you can't escape it. Yes, exactly. Like the way I the way I thought of it as a time at the time was I don't know if you ever saw The Matrix or not. I'm, like the original I'm getting Matrix major vibes movie. from The Matrix, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> well, this this came out just mm. after this time, around or around this time. And there was a there was a sentence in one of the lines there that says, um, it's like there's a splinter mm. in your mind. And you can't get the splinter out. Like that's the feeling that I went through for the next yeah. couple of weeks. And this was the yeah. Anyway, I couldn't shake it. I didn't know what to do with it. Didn't know how to explain it. I rationalized it to be you know spiking the drink or whatever. Not going to touch anything just to be safe. But I couldn't shake the feeling. That was that was the part that really frustrated me. So anyway, a couple of um, yeah, probably about I don't know a couple about eight weeks or so go by thereabouts two two months or so. Anyway, the same guy I was out with, my best friend. Now, he's been my best friend since, like, grade six. And, like, we'd gone through high school together. We'd gone through university classes together. We'd backpacked around Europe together. We'd been tight. Anyway, so he gives me a call probably about eight weeks later and says, hey, me and Vanessa, his girlfriend at the time, he says, we're going to go out um, this weekend. You want to come along? I'm like, nah, I'm, I'm kind of not really doing that scene at the moment. He's like, oh, come on. If you don't come, it's going to be awkward. Like, I, I need, I need that extra, you know, the double dateness, you know, to make everything work for him. I'm like, all right, fine, but I'm going to drive. I'm not going to drink. He's like, oh, perfect. We'll save us on a cab and all that sort of stuff. So we all go out. So my my, my girlfriend or fiance at that point and my best mate and his girlfriend, the four of us go out again about eight weeks later. And um, so I'm completely sober, right? Like I'm drinking like lemon lime bitters, <laughs> like that. It's just I'm the, I'm the lame one in the group, and. It was funny. I still remember like thinking because it's probably my first time ever to a club where it was, I wasn't drinking or anything like that. And I was just like, this is so lame. Like just standing here watching these people like, you know, teeny bopper around. It's like so lame. But anyway, so they're all having a good time and I'm sitting there going, when are they finished? And so they've, it was about four o'clock in the morning. They all decide they're done. And so it's time to get in the car and drive home. Anyway, on the way back um, home. So we lived, we lived about, I don't know, about 40 minutes south of the city. And we were in the city this particular night. We're driving south down towards the Gold Coast. And as we're driving along, like Brisbane's notorious for mm. thunderstorms and stuff. 
And this was this was a, a really good one, like electrical storm. But there was no rain yet. It was just like the pre-storm, like just the thunder and the lightning and stuff. So I'm driving down the, the motorway, the M1, and everyone's fallen asleep. It's probably about 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning. And as I'm driving around, like I've seen a lot of thunderstorms, uh, like lightning storms, but this one was amazing because the lightning, it would start out on the on the western horizon. When you're driving south, you kind of got the Moreton Bay over on the east in the it was sort of like it started on the west out out west and it could crackle. Like it would start and just splinter. Like the, the lightning would splinter, 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 splinter. And it would just go sort of right across the dome, you know, and out to the bay. And like one lightning crackle would be like, I don't know, 10, 15 seconds of just traversing the sky. And I was like, man, this is crazy. So I literally got to the point where I pulled my car over on the motorway. I still, I've, I took a picture of the petrol station the other day. I was just there the other day when I was in Brisbane. And um, the field's still there. It's next to a BP petrol station. So I pulled the car over, parked there, lights are running. There's no rain. It's just the lightning. And I get out. Everyone's in the car still asleep. And I stand up out in front of the car. So imagine like the car's behind me. The headlights are shining into me. And I'm standing there looking up. It's probably about 4, 35 o'clock in the morning. And I'm watching this lightning. And the smell, you know, mm, like there's like, like a sulfuric um, uh, negative ions yeah, yeah. or something. Yes, that sort of smell, right? Right before the storm hits. So I've got that smell and like um, all the hair sort of standing up on your neck and all that sort of stuff from like the static electricity and things. And I'm just taking it in and it was just something to behold, you know? And I'm, I don't even remember what I was thinking. I was just standing there looking up at it. And while I'm looking at it, it's like out of the, clear blue sky like this thought hits me straight in the skull and the thought is if the world's going to end it'll probably start like this (laughs) now just to set the context here backstory on me i didn't believe that the world would ever end um i was of the opinion that yeah look maybe there'll be some serious um annihilation of the species (coughs) excuse me but like the world ending nah nah that's just for the the religious nutters and the zealots and that sort of stuff. Like, you know, maybe there'll be an asteroid and wipe the dinosaurs out again and maybe some humans with it, but we'll survive. Like, humans survive, species will survive. It won't be the end Mm. as we know it sort of thing. So, for me to have a thought like if there's the end of the world, it might begin like this or it'd probably start like this with like this lightning thing. I was just like, I literally like step back like, (laughs) where'd that come from? Like, it was so foreign to my thinking. It's like Like, somebody's injected- it's and like before I could put pro- a thought into your mind that yeah. wasn't yours, almost. Yes, exactly. And so, like, I'm, I'm sort of like, where did that come from? Who said that sort of thing? Like, it wasn't audible, but it was like so mm. in your head, it felt like someone else had to have said it because it wasn't my, yeah. I wasn't thinking like that. And so, before I could process that, the very next thought that comes in is, and if there is a God, you're mm. lost. Now, Again, backstory on me, as a, as a self-professed atheist, I didn't believe in absolute morality. I know that sounds retarded to a lot of our <laughs> listeners and viewers, but that's where I was when I was like 23 years of age. I just Because here's the thing. If you logically believe that you come from an evolved process and there's no absolute um, like intelligent designer in any of that, like it's literally just a byproduct of chance and time and all that sort of stuff. If you take that to its logical conclusion, and as a programmer, that's kind of how I'm wired. I'm, I'm wired to always deduce things to their logical conclusions. And so the logical conclusion of that is, is that morality is 
a social construct. It's not an absolute, you know, external divine arbitrary thing that you conform to or adapt to. The belief system that I had at the time, and a lot of people out there probably do have this still, is the idea that morality is a social construct. So what that looks like is, you know, a bunch of humans get together. This is this is what I used to believe as a as an evolutionist, is a bunch of humans got together at some point and decide, you know what? I don't like that you take stuff from me. Don't take it from me. So I won't take from you. You don't take from me. Therefore, we'll make this one of our codes of honor in our yeah. community, right? Um, or our clan community. So we we create this we create this rule: don't steal. Um, and the same thing you go through all the like what we call morals as Christians. Now you go to go through all of that, and you kind of arrive at the same conclusion: like we don't like the idea of you killing um, my sister, and I don't want to kill your sister. So let's not kill, and we'll, we'll have peace treaty that way. Um, and don't take my wife, I won't take your wife, like this sort of stuff. So the idea of me having a thought that if there is a God, then I'm lost would imply that there's some sort of external source of morality, which has a standard of morality, which I'm now in uh, contrast to. Yeah. Does yeah. that make sense? So it, So that wasn't how I thought of the world. It's not how I looked at the world. So to have the first thought, hey, if there is an end of the world, it might start like this. Mm -hmm. I was like, what? Where'd that come from? The next one's like, and if there's a God, you're lost. It's like, so now this thought process of the world ending is connected to God sort of returning yeah. or coming or whatever and judgment. And this is all very, very, it's not like the idea was far. I mean, I've seen it in movies and that sort of stuff, um, you know, end of world type stuff. I mean, end of the millennium, it was all that, that was the movie staple you know hollywood's producing end of the world stuff and the idea of you know god and and judgment day i mean that wasn't foreign either i mean schwarzenegger played mm -hmm. in movies like that too with like end of days in 1999 so it's not like the ideas were foreign it's just they weren't my ideas like i didn't believe any of that stuff it was just in the cultural you know, for the weak fool or something yeah it, yeah yeah so that hits me and i'm like what? Where did that come from? Now, before I can even process the first thought and the second thought, along comes the third doozy. And this one, the easiest way to describe it is imagine you're standing in a field, you're looking up, you're watching a lightning storm, and then you get paralyzed in that position. Like you can't move your fingers, you can't move your toes, you can't turn your head, you can't, I don't know if I blink my eyes or not, I don't know. But you're just paralyzed. Like it's, Imagine that picture, you're paralyzed. And then while you're in that condition, Imagine that someone, I mean, back then I'd say a DVD, now you'd say a USB stick or something. They stuck a USB stick in your brain and it's a video, it's a series of video clips and they press play. And what you see is in, you know, in my mind, it was like full full 8K or something like 4K, 8K or whatever resolution is like full quality. And I'm standing in the field and the first thing I can remember is a picture of me being played back. It's a, it's a video being played back of me. I'm watching myself now in this video, in my head, right? And it's me, I don't know, probably grade five, grade six, something like that, that age. And I hear my mum talking. So I'm, I'm watching myself walking down the hallway in my house, like I grew up in, like I know the, I can picture it. It's like an instant replay of the real event. I'm walking down the, the hallway there and I can hear my mum in the background going, don't take the money out of my <laughs> purse, Robbie, because I was asking for money for tuck shop, right? My mum's saying, don't take the money. And I'm watching myself. And this, I, I literally remember this. I walked up the hallway. I opened up my mum's bedroom, mum and dad's bedroom door. 
and I walk in, find her handbag, and while she's in the kitchen, I'm going through the handbag and I'm taking out money. I'm stealing money for tuck shop when mm. she told me not to, right? Like this is the first thing that I can remember being played back to me. And it's like I'm external mm. to the scene and I'm watching myself do this, right? And I'm just like, whoa, that was <laughs> so wrong. And then before you can process that, a scene change. Now it's something else. Now it's me, you know, beating my sister up or something. Then it's scene changes. Now it's me, you know, cursing at my brother or something. And then it's scene changes and it's me bullying some kid at school. Then it's scene change. Then it's me doing and it's scene change, scene change. And it's like my whole life had been edited down to just scene after scene after scene after scene of what we would call, you know, from a moralist point of view as a Christian, you'd call it as yep. transgressions or sins or or um, doing the wrong thing, right? But I, at that point in my life, I didn't believe any of that stuff. Like that, that wasn't definition of wrong. That was just like, <laughs> don't get caught. You know, like if you can work yeah. the system, work the system. But here I am being flashed back. Like it was, it was, and I couldn't move. Like I couldn't stop it. It was just flash, 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 flash all the way up to that present moment. I mean, I was like 23 at the time. It's like, imagine like, I don't know, say 20 years of stuff being flashed. And it was like vivid. Like it was, it wasn't. Me, like first, like point of view, uh, what they call it, yeah, first yeah, person yeah. point of view, what do they call it now? It was me watching mm. myself doing it, like external to that. It's like someone recorded it, like security camera, and I was watching the CCTV back of my life. And at the as this is happening, the overwhelming feeling that I'm experiencing through this is I am a messed up, bad person, right? Now, if you had have asked me before this night, I would have said, man, I'm a good, moral, upstanding citizen. I pay my taxes. Um, I don't break the laws. By the way, I don't get caught by the laws, <laughs> put it that way. <laughs> you know, I saw myself as a good person. But from the weight of my own memories, I felt absolutely like I was condemned yeah. by my own memory. And as I'm sitting there just, just overwhelmed, the horn in the car that's behind me <laughs> gets hit by my ex. And she says, um, what are you doing? We want to go home. Get back in the car. Yeah. So, it snapped me out of it. So, I get in the car and I'm driving. It's probably another 20 minutes home. And I'm just like, what on earth mm. was that? Mm. If there is an end of the world, it will probably start like this. If there is a God, you're lost. And by the way, mm. here's the evidence. And I was just like, I, don't, I didn't know so what to do with it. So, so it's um, like slowly your worldview is yeah, being is being chipped away, you know, piece by piece. It's being re-examined. Yeah. That's ex yeah. exactly how to put it. Yeah. No. That exactly like the whole introduction to the meta metaphysical type stuff, which I didn't believe in, like the whole mirror thing. I would describe now as a metaphysical thing. And you know, people ask me, "Do you think it was a good? Do you think it was an angel helping?" No, no. I think it was very, yeah. very dark. It wasn't. It wasn't light. It wasn't a great experience it was dark but it it broke down that whole no the metaphysical mm. doesn't exist that sort of like well actually mm. maybe it does or my drink was spiked one of the two then this whole thing with like no morality counts and you're on the wrong side of it and there could be something big coming around the corner like that was the t takeaway from the second defining mm. moment that i look back on so a couple of weeks go by after that and i'm just like what is happening to my world like am i going crazy these, these that were a relatively short space apart in terms of my life at the time. And I'm like, what, what's going on? So, a couple of weeks go by and I wake up, I go downstairs and I start ironing my shirt for work and I turn the news on, which I normally do, like the morning news. And there's the imagery 
um, of the Twin Towers in America, the World Trade Centers, being hit mm-hmm. by a plane. It was only the first plane, the first time I looked at it. And you know, I'm, I'm you know, having, a, having a cup of coffee, I'm ironing my shirt, not, I'm just sort of watching the news as a sort of a side thing. And I look up and I'm like, man, those are some serious special <laughs> effects. Like it looked like, because you gotta remember, at that point, Hollywood was like pushing the right. end of the world scenarios, right? Like, you know, there was deep impact, Independence for uh, Independence Day. There was end of days. There was all these end of the world movies, and the, they were pushing the envelope for special effects, right? And um, this looked pretty impressive. I was like, "What movie is this?" I thought it was some trailer for an ad or something for a movie. Anyway, didn't really pay much attention to it. Got in the car, drove to the office. It's about a thirty-minute drive, forty-minute drive, and. When I drive in the office, I'm listening to CDs. I don't ever listen to the radio. Who listens to the radio, right? Listen to CDs. So I'm in a little bubble. That's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I got anyway. it, but maybe some people didn't. But yeah, <laughs> bit of irony there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, very ironic. So I get to the office and I'm on, in the elevator, get up to level eight, come out of the elevator, and no one's at their desks working. Everyone's around one spot where we have dial-up uh-huh. internet. No one probably even knows what it is these days, but dial up internet. And I walk over. I'm like, what are you guys doing? And they're around one computer and they're watching like 15-second CNN clips that CNN would upload onto the internet and you have to download them, take, you know, five minutes, download 15 seconds or something. And they're playing it, right? And it's it's the same thing I just saw on the news back at home. And I'm like, what's going on? They said, where have you been? America is under attack. And I'm like, what? What do you mean? Anyway, so obviously they unpacked, the, uh, learned the whole story. You know, September 11 had happened. It was September 12 in Australia. It was happening sort of real time in the US. The towers had been hit. And um, I think the Pentagon had been hit at that point as well. And there was another plane missing. They didn't know what happened to it. That was the fourth one that's supposed to went missing. So all that's unpacking sort of in real time in the office. And, um, you know, we're all programmers. So you put a bunch of, pro- like 20 programmers around a screen and show them a problem. Everyone's trying to find the solution to who <laughs> did what. And, you know, sort of big, big adventure. Anyway, after a couple of hours, our manager goes, guys, come on, get back to work. So I go to sit down at my little cubicle there. And my my neighbor cubicle guy, his name is Chris, he was um, he was a self-professed evangelical atheist. Oh. So those two words don't match yeah, in case yeah, you don't yeah, understand. Yeah. But he, he was like... My job is to convert people to atheism. <laughs> like he was an evangelist for the atheistic movement. Like that's yeah. how hardcore he was. Like I was here and he was like <laughs> next level. But that's how much he was. So as we're sitting down, he turns to me, like just passing comment and says, you know, all this was predicted, right? And I'm like, what? What What are you? What? Did, what? What'd you say? He says, September 11, 2001, it's been predicted. And I'm like, okay, there's so much wrong with that sentence yeah. coming from your mouth. Yeah. I don't know where to start. Like, you're, you don't believe in, like, we don't believe in predictions. We don't believe in that. It's like, what are you talking about? He's like, no, 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 it's all predicted. I'll email you. <laughs> so he sits down, right, literally next to me behind a little cubicle wall, and I'm on the other side, and he emails me, right? And so I open the email up, and what he emails me is a, it's from um, a book called The True Prophecies of Nostradamus. Nice written by Nostradamus. And it's um, from Quintron uh, 97, <coughs> if you're interested. Anyway, so I, I, I get this in an email and I read it, right? I'm like, 
<laughs> I, I I felt like I was uh, Neo sitting at the keyboard <laughs> and something just happened in the Matrix sort of thing, you know? And so I read this thing. And this is what it says. I've got it here on the screen. I'll just read it. It says, the sky will burn at 45 degrees latitude. Fire approaches the great new city. Immediately, a huge scattered flame leaps up. Within months, rivers will flow with blood. The undead will roam the earth for a little while. So I read this and I'm probably got the same response as everyone else that just heard that. And like, what? <laughs> How? How is that September 11th? So I literally get up and I lean over my little cubicle wall and I say to Chris, what the? Yeah. Like, what, what are you talking about? He's like, ah, oh, let me tell you, man. And he goes, watch this. The sky will burn at 45 degrees latitude. So he gets out a map and shows me New York City is 46 uh, point something, whatever it is. So he's like, see? I said, I said, well, it's not 45. Close, says, oh, enough. close enough. I'm like, no. I'm like, okay. So the next line, he says, fire approaches the great new city. New York is the new city. And I'm like, uh, okay, I, I guess I can kind of see that. And he says, immediately huge scattered flames leap up. What happened when the towers were hit? Flames leap up. I'm like, well, they kind of went out, not up. I mean, I'm I'm the the programmer here. Like, I'm literally details, right? He was a web developer, uh, so you get the difference. Yeah, yeah. One's the creative, one's type. Um, analytical. <laughs> yes, that's it. So then he goes, and then watch the next part. He says, within months, the rivers will flow with blood. He says, war is coming. And I mean, didn't take a rock science to figure out that America was going to go to war. Like, as soon as this had happened, we all, like, yeah. it was going to happen. Someone was going to be on the end, receiving end of this. Um, so he's like, yeah, war is coming. And he says, and then watch this. And the last sentence says, the undead will roam the earth for a little time. And then he goes, the zombies are coming. And then he starts laughing and laughing and laughing and laughing and laughing. <laughs> yeah, anyway, yeah, it was a yeah, joke. Yeah, he was yeah. trying to pull my leg. Like, he didn't believe any of this stuff. He's trying <laughs> to pull my leg, right? But he could not have known this. But when I sat back down at my desk, it was like an entire new concept just opened up before me that what if there is something out there that's trying to reveal the future to me because i've just had this you know dark shadowy figure thing in mirrors i've just had this weird thing that happens with this storm and like uh, some sort of absolute morality and sense of condemnation and all this stuff and now this thing in america is happening is there something in this whole prediction mm. business, right? So, again, the first thing is like a splinter in the mind. The second thing is like a splinter in the mind. And now the third thing. So, these things are starting to break down everything. Like, I didn't believe in predictions. Like, who can tell the future? No one can tell the future unless you can create it. You can't tell it, right? And who believes in absolute morality? Not me. And who believes in metaphysical, like, supernatural beings and, you know, fabric being split between time and space and all that stuff? Not me. But now these three things are sort of gone. Do I need to pay attention to something? Like how do how is this connected? Like I'm I'm a pattern person, so I'm like there must be some pattern in all this sort of thing. So that's that's where the journey sort of well not the journey, but that's where the mm -hmm. the catalyst happened, and it was kind of like this. What in the world is happening? It's like my like everything around my my little you know as you said before. Um, uh, how'd you describe it? You called it a uh, uh, Western, oh, yeah. Yeah, white, yeah. oh, mid nineties, yeah, little bubble life thing. Yeah, that the perfect, the perfect yeah. bubble, right? It's like everything just started to <laughs> either it either started to explode or it started to seem like it was like right. smoke and mirrors. Um, 
something something didn't seem like it was all it was cracked up to be. And so what what actually as a result of these three things, what happened was a couple of probably a couple of days went by and oh there's actually another small little detail that probably needs to be said. So I worked for an engineering company that was uh, I was working in IT developer for an engineering company, the biggest construction company in Australia. And they were rebuilding or remodeling the Sydney domestic terminal for Ansett oh, wow. Airlines at the time. And if you know the story, September 11, um, September 12 was the trade tower thing in Australia. September 13, yeah. Ansett goes bankrupt. And when Ansett goes bankrupt, the company I worked for lost like $2 billion wow. just wiped. And being in the dot-com bubble, we had all of our retirement stuff as share options. So we had I, I had like this uh, portfolio that was going to look like a million and a half dollars at age 35 retirement type thing. By September 14, that had dropped down to less than $70,000. Wow. Just like just that. Gone. Just gone. So I'm like, what the? Like, yeah. what is happening? And- all of this stuff is sort of just playing off its each other. I'm like, is there a pattern? I'm supposed to see something, whatever. And then it hit me. This is this is this is the start of where it turns to faith. This is what hit me. I was watching the news one night, and if anyone watching the news back then, you would get um, the first probably ten minutes of the news would be American <laughs> stories, what the U.S. was doing, like what the president was saying, what Congress was doing, what the defense de- um, defense department, yeah, yeah. whatever they called over there. And you would hit, you would see like George W. Bush. He'd be standing there. He'd be giving some, you know, rousing the t- troops and all this stuff. And then you'd say this: you'd say, "God bless America, and God bless our troops," like without fail. And you, I've watched it on the internet. I've gone back in the archives, and you can still find him saying these things. And it, it hit me right because the very next news story was a picture of some, you know, supposed maybe they were I don't know, but some sort of um, Islamic terrorist sitting in some desert out in Afghanistan or Iraq or Iran or wherever it was and yeah it's the same old shot it's like um, stock footage that they're using like just an MK47 and like over the sand dunes like I don't know what they're shooting at they're shooting at something right the sand dune and then that you see them going Allah Akbar Allah Akbar you know God is great God is great God is great and I'm sitting there I'm like what on earth, you've got the Americans talking about God blessing them, mm. their country, and blessing their troops. And then on the other side of the plan, the Middle East, you've got the um, there's Muslims, these um, Islamic terrorists or fundamentalists. You've got them going, Allah is great, Allah is great, and they're at, they're going to water with each other. And so one of the gods has to be the right one, and one of them has to be the wrong one. And when I looked at it, it's like this is a religious wow. war. So I'm sitting here in Australia in 2001, you know, around September, October, around there, and I'm like, we are in a, the world is in a religious war. That's what it is. It's it's the god of the Americans versus the god of the Middle East and mm. whatever they were. Now I was super ignorant to anything religious, right? I didn't care about it, so I didn't know what a Muslim believed from a Christian. All I knew was is that they obviously didn't like each other, and obviously the Jews didn't like the Muslims, the Muslims didn't like the Jews because. Back then was every other night was a suicide bombing on the news in Jerusalem or something. So, but I'm sitting here in Australia, I'm like, wait a minute. Are you telling me because these Americans and their religion is going to war with the Arabs and their religion, I'm now not able to retire at 35 with a $1.5 million (laughs) retirement. I've lost all of that because of this. So, 
this is literally where my starting point was. My point, my starting thought was, what on earth do yeah, these well. nutters believe? And that's what I th- saw, saw them as. I saw them all as religious nutters. So I started a, a quest to just understand what they believe. So I went and looked at, I, I got a Quran. I read the Quran to try and figure out what they believe. Because I thought if, look, and you think about this, right? American policy, foreign policy is all based on Christian, uh, evangelical Christian interpretation of prophecy. All of it. Why do the Americans, um, why they're so in love with Jerusalem and Israel? Uh, why did Trump, for example, why did he put the uh, the embassy mm. in Jerusalem? Why did he move it? Why don't why didn't Clinton go over there and you know bomb the Israel Israelis instead of bombing the Af- uh, the the Arabs? Like why? Because if you understand what their their overall as a nation, what their religious perspective is, and the lobbying power of the evangelical Christianity. It is profound on how that makes decisions, foreign policy. So long story short, I went on this search to figure out what religions believe so that I had a bit of a heads up on how messed up this is going to get. So I studied Islam, I mean, self-studied. I didn't go and get any professional studies. I just bought a Quran and read it. I wanted to know what they believed and then did some Google searches to find out what they believed. And um, then I did the same thing with Christianity. And that was a box of like having a box of worms up because there's that many different varieties and versions of Christianity. It's hard to make sense of who believed what. But then I thought, well, why stop with these two? What do the rest of them believe? What do the Buddhists believe? What do the Hindus believe? Um, what do the Aztecs believe? So I, I kind of started collecting religious knowledge, um, sort of as as um, you know, some people were playing video <laughs> games back then. I was collecting we all need religious a hobby, you know. summaries. Yeah. Um, and the quest for this one was to solve sort of it was to give me a rational answer for what mm. had happened to me and to solve the problem of how do I get back the the, the nest egg that I was going to have? Like, what can I possibly do to solve all this? Is there a way to invest or should I invest in American companies? Are they going to win this war against the Arabs or, you know, I don't know. So that was that was sort of the, the selfish motives to start off with. Long story short, that that took me down rabbit holes like you would not believe. I mean, you would believe, but. It just left, right, and center. Um, like I started, I started knowing more about what Buddha taught than what the <laughs> Prime Minister of Australia was saying. You know, um, I was I was learning more about Confucius and the the ancient religion of the Chinese, um, all that sort of stuff. So, what, anyway, here, here's where yeah. it got really, really interesting. When so I, I approached this as a programming problem to be solved. So I I used all the tools I used in day-to-day, like in my, my profession to solve problems. I used those same tools to analyze religions. And what I ended up with was something that I was not expecting. So when you look at all the, I look, we'll get rid of all the minor religions. Look at the four big ones, right? So Islam, uh, Hinduism, Buddhism, um, and Christianity slash Judaism, right? That whole vibe. Just look at those four. All of those four claim to have religious texts, and they claim to some extent that these texts are holy. Now, I didn't believe any of that for a second when I was reading these books. But when you look at what the actual books say, like, for example, the Quran, very loosely, at a very high level, the Quran makes the claim that um, you know Allah is God, Muhammad is his prophet, and basically, listen to what I say. Like, 
I know that's probably going to go some – some of our Arab friends are listening and go, that's not the full – I know it's not the full picture, but yeah. that's, that's just yeah. for simplicity's sake, right? If you, go to, if you go to the Vedas, which is the holy text for Hinduism, if you boil that all down, you basically got – there's three main deities. There's a lot of other deities, but this book will tell you how to celebrate life. Um, when there's a wedding, this is what you do. When there's a funeral, this is what you do. When there's a baby, this is what you do. When you um, – yeah, you know, milestones mm. in life is what you do. It's really a book of hymns and prayers and and rituals and things, right? When you go to the teachings of Buddha, and it's debated what the most official one is because the Buddha never wrote anything, but there's a book called in English it's called the Buddha Bible, which is basically a collection of teachings of Buddha. And what's fascinating is is that there's some really interesting stuff in all these documents, and in Buddhism, there's this one really interesting account where a disciple says to Buddha, he says. Buddha, are you God? And Buddha says, no. And then the disciple says, well, are you a magician? He says, no. Are you a celestial being? He says, no. Uh, what are you then? Like you can see the frustration in the disciple. And so then Buddha's answer to that question is he says, says I'm awake. Mm. That's it. He's awake. He's not God. He's not a celestial being. He's not a magician. He's just awake. And in the context, being awake means that he's aware of the, the problems of our planet, which is attachment to things. And he's awake to that. And so he's doing his best to detach and therefore be free. And there's some solid principles in Buddhism. Don't get me wrong. But Buddhism is a result of the failure of Hinduism. So obviously, if you think Buddhism is a good deal, then Hinduism is not so good because it came out of that to replace that. So then you get to Christianity. And when I say Christianity, you talk about the, talk about the, um, the Old Testament first, right? The, the Hebrew text. So the Hebrew text comes out, in one particular passage is in Isaiah chapter um, 46, verse 9. It comes out and says this. He says, I'm God, and there's no one else. I'm God, and there's none like me. Now, when you've read all these other religious books and you come across that verse, it's just like, <laughs> what now? Like, this is the first religious document that I've ever read. And by the way, since doing this, finding that out and doing this whole experiment for 20 years, it is the only book on the planet that makes such a profoundly mm. bold claim that the author of the book is not just a God, but the only God, and there's no one else in his category. Like, that's it. Now, if on the surface, that compared to what Allah says, it, it's, it's different. It's more assertive than what Allah says in the Quran, but it's not, it's not mm. shocking. Like, you kind of expect the holy book to say the holy book, person yeah. the holy author, right? But here's the part that shocked me. It's the next verse. The next verse in um, Isaiah 46 says, he says, I'll declare the future. I'm paraphrasing here. He says, I'll declare the end from the beginning, but I'll declare the future from the past. The things that are not yet done, I'll reveal before they've happened. And when you read that in the context, the implication is, is that that's the evidence for his claim. Right. So his claim, got this God of the Bible, his claim is, I'm God, there's no other God, I'm the only one, there's no one else like me, that's it, there's no one else, there's no Buddha, there's no, no, there's no Buddha in my category, there's no um, Allah in my category, I'm it, that's it, right? But then the very next verses, and here's how you'll know, I'm going to tell you things before they happen, and when they happen the way I told you they'll happen before they happen, that will prove to you that I am who I said I was in my claim. Now, there's a couple of things to unpack with that. The first one is, is that, Wow, no other religious book on the planet gives you an opportunity to test the claim. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing that came out of it to me. 
The second thing that came out of it was, why prophecy? Why is prophecy the test? Why is that the thing that tests the claim? And then I, so I did some digging into this prophecy thing. And the funny thing with this, right, this is the connection back to that day in the office with my coworker who threw me right. the Nostradamus thing, the prophecy thing, right? So I've got the prophecy thing. There's a claim with this God thing, the absolute Godness, which is the storm thing. I'll get to the shadow thing another time probably. But the question is, what's the deal with this prophecy? So I do some digging into prophecy and it turns out that humans cannot predict the future yeah. effectively. Um, the best studies out there suggest that the average human, out of every 100 predictions you make, you get three hmm. right. That's the average human. If you're a professional, meaning like that's your bread and butter business, your average prediction rate increases from 3% to 16%. So the professional psychics and the fortune tellers and the tarot card readers and all that stuff, they get about 16% accuracy. But if I tried to or you tried to with no profession, we would average Which is about still 3%. like 16% is still the, not great. Like, let's be real about that. That's 16% is still not great. Shit. Well, put it, put it, to put this, put this in context. Out of 100 things that I say <laughs> is going to happen, yeah. only 16 yeah. come true. So, and someone's paid for every one of those 100 yeah. predictions. Yeah. So, you can see <laughs> if you're happy with um, 16 out of 100, yeah. But, but look, to be fair though, it's way better than the average person can do. 100% better. Or well, not 100%. It's, it's yeah. magnitude's better. But how much are you going to put your faith into that if the 17th one is wrong through to yeah. the 100th one, right? So, it, and the, the studies suggest that the reason why professionals can get 16% instead of 3% is because they um, recognize patterns. And when certain people say certain things, and after you've had some experience with that, you sort of pick up on that and you find patterns. Anyway, long story short. So, here's what happened. This is where the faith experiment kicked off. It kicked off with, so let me test the prophecies. And so, I found that about between 30 to 40 percent, depending on how you count it, of the Bible, uh, it's 18,700 and something prophecies, like unique prophecies in the Bible. So I looked at it as 1,807 uh, 1, unique opportunities to test and to prove or disprove that the mm. claim is valid, that God is God. Long story short, I started testing one, the prophecies, and then of the first five that I tested, they were. 100% accurate. And like statistically, like for example, we'll get one prophecy right one I looked at. There are 13 predictive elements. So one prophecy has 13 things that have to happen to make that one prophecy fulfilled. Um, perfect. And it's a space of like that particular one's a space of about, for about 600 years. There's another one that's got um, 12 predictive elements, uh, sorry, nine predictive elements, and it's over the space of 2,000 years. So the magnitudes of getting this stuff accurate just keep increasing, yeah, wow. increasing, increasing to the point of impossibility. And so, yeah, I came to this conclusion that, you know what? I mean, there's a lot more detail yeah, here, which I'm obviously skipping over. But the conclusion of the story is, is there's something worth yeah. checking out with this that I couldn't check out with any other religious document. And that was the faith experiment that started and in a nutshell. 20 years later, here you are still, still doing the experiment. <laughs> it's crazy, man. <laughs> and enjoying oh, every moment of it. Mate, unfortunately, um, we are rapidly running out of time, but I have so enjoyed uh, hearing 
even more detail in in this story, Robbie. There's so many, oh, I mean, there's so many little threads that we could just pull out. Um, if I could just reflect very briefly, I love how throughout this entire experience, God came at you and came to you from all these different angles, from the the spiritual angle to mm. the slightly apocalyptic angle to the the data driven angle like there's there's so many different ways in which god um spoke into your life and i can't help but um be reminded of there's that famous passage in acts where um the apostle paul is at this um uh, mars hill area and uh with the philosophers and the the skeptics and the debaters and he's you know, he's talking about how there's this God that they don't recognize that's in all and through all and that created everything. And that th- that one part where he says, um, you know, that he's not too far from any of us and that he's actually, you know, he's actually reaching out to each one of us. And I I guess um, as I'm listening to that, I, I, I'm recognizing the parts of my life where I, I have seen God reach out to me and I'm... I guess I'm comforted by the fact that, you know, at the very beginning, I kind of maybe, I kind, I kind of maybe uh, hyped you up as a person, and you were kind of just like, oh, I'm just an ordinary guy that God impacted in an in an extraordinary way, and that's every one of us, mm. right? You know, that we're we're all Absolutely. going through our life. We're all dealing with stuff. We're all, you know, trying to do various things. And in the midst of all that, God is still reaching out to every single one of us in so many ways that are unexpected, um, which is which is quite incredible. Yeah, you know, the thing, the thing, the thing that's spoken to me over the years is, and still continues to do so, is a lot of people when they you know encounter a story like mine, and there are plenty of people with the stories as equally as strange as mine, and. They can turn to me and they can say, I wish I had a story like you. You know, like they've been a Christian, a follower of Jesus the whole life, and they're like, you know, they, they, haven't, they haven't seen the contrast, I guess, to the way I've probably seen my life, right? And they'll say, I wish I had a story like yours. And, you know, my in, to this day, I still have the same reaction. My reaction is, I wish I had a story like yours. I wish I had a story that I grew up in a home of faith, and my parents were able to transfer that uh, intellectual aspect of that faith so it became reasonable, logic, and then I could experiment with that faith myself and understood it myself and made it, it became my own, my own faith in God, right? And what, what I think is the most powerful experience that any person can share is just how God has communicated with them in, through their circumstances, their environment, whatever it is, and led them on the same because at the end of the day, all of our stories have different beginnings, but they yeah. want the same conclusion. The same conclusion is yeah. we meet the same person, and then when we meet the same person, he works with us, right? But um, yeah, you know, like I wish I had a story that didn't have mm. the baggage that I have. But at the same time, I'm grateful for the fact that even though I wasn't looking, it was clear. Looking back now with the 2020 vision that we have, it's clear that God was always there with me. He was always there trying to pull the veil back just a little bit to get get mm-hmm. my attention. And I think anyone watching this and anybody listening to this, they're in the same position as I was or am. 
God is still with us. He's still in a real position of power and he's really wanting to reveal himself. And so maybe for somebody, it's literally the rainbow. Maybe for somebody, it's the the bird chirping on the side bench eating you know, a, a crumb or something. Or maybe it's seeing, seeing someone in pain and then feeling compassion for them. I don't know what their story is, but everyone's got a story. And I think if I could say one thing out of this, out of my experience to our, our listeners and our viewers, is just ask for your eyes to be open to see God writing mm. your story. So good. So good. Um, it would be remiss of me not to uh, just shine a spotlight on some of the stuff that you're up to these days. So um, do you want to tell our um, viewers a little bit more about what you're up to with Faith Experiment, with Faith FM and and all that good stuff? Yeah, sure. So I'm I'm currently um, the national content manager for Faith FM, which is a Christian radio station here in Australia. And <clears throat> Excuse me. And my uh, my role there is I oversee content creators. So we've got um, nine studios across the country for Faith FM, and so I oversee all the producers at those studios and all the show creators and content creators. So I, I help um, you know uh, mentor and give guidance and counsel on creating shows and programs and things for radio. Um, but I also have the uh, the dual dual role of being one of the um, many show hosts on Faith FM. So I have a, a national show called The Faith Experiment, which is surprise. <laughs> it's based on on the journey, and it's the Faith Experiment. Um, it started off like the first, my probably sixteen, seventeen episodes is all sharing in detail my story. So if people got questions and how oh, what happened, what happened in between mm. all these blanks you talked about, well, you can go listen awesome. to it on the podcast faithfm.com.au. Um, or get the app and you can listen to it there. But um, so from there, the point was to springboard the show with that. But then the real goal of the show is to address issues of faith from an intellectual perspective that can be then put into practice. And then you as a listener or a viewer can go, well, let me try that out. Let me see. Robbie says, this is what the Bible says. Um, but how do you actually live that out? And what difference does it make to my life? Like I love this one verse from, I know we're running out of time. I'll run one, one verse from Jesus. He, Rabbi Jesus, he makes this comment. He says, if you seek the kingdom of God first, everything mundane will fall into its appropriate category and fall into its appropriate place, right? So Jesus is making this point. 2,000 years ago, he makes this point. If you experiment by putting your number one priority into whatever the kingdom of God is, then everything else falls into its perspective. Now, I'm not talking about like if you... You know, you give money to the church or something that somehow you get blessed. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about literally the words mm. of Rabbi Jesus, that if you shift your priorities and your focus and you experiment putting that into place, then wait and see what the results are because that's what the experiment's all about. What's the results? So I unpack that kind of idea on the show. And so we explore from all different perspectives. Like one of the ones I really enjoyed doing last month was mm. about the Sabbath. Um, the Sabbath. We call it the Sabbath gift and unpacking how one of the greatest practical examples that you could do in a faith experiment is to experiment with the Sabbath because it's tangible. It's literally like the Bible says, here's a period of time. I want you to experiment by doing this during this period of time and then see what comes of it. And so, yeah, mm. things like that. That's the sort of thing faith experiment's about. So I, I'm thoroughly enjoying that sort of, it's a podcast. Um, we're doing live shows around the country at the moment. I just did a two-week program in, in Coffs Harbor based on the faith experiment. 
Um, got another one, Adelaide, coming up in uh, three weeks. Um, I think it's whatever it is, August, uh, September 16, I think it is. And so we go around the country doing these live programs. So we get to see people, people do Q&A, that sort of stuff. So it's, it's yeah, that's what we're doing at the moment, Faith Experiment. So good. On Faith well, if you are in Adelaide, then uh, you're not going to have long. Uh, there'll be uh, an opportunity maybe for you to rock up and uh, have a chat with Robbie in, in real life. So, um, yeah, that's really exciting. Now, before we go, I did want to fulfill a promise that we made at the beginning of the show. There is a special offer that we have made available through Faith FM. So, Robbie, do you want to tell everybody how this is going to work? Yeah. Yep, absolutely. If you are able to hear or see us, then you're entitled to claim this free gift. It's actually courortesy of Signs of the Times. They've got a magazine. Uh, I think it's the it's August, the August edition. edition. You'll be able to one, see one Robbie's about. beautiful face on the cover. So it's unmistakable. <laughs> 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 I'm laughing because my wife doesn't like that picture, but that's that is, not a story. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yes, it's the one my face on the cover. Um, if you want to get a free copy of this, now at the moment, it's probably for Australia. Right. Um, if you reach out to us and watch, see if we can get it outside of Australia. I'm not sure how we're going to do that. But if you're in Australia right now, for 100%, this is going to work right now. You can take out your phone and you want to send a text message. So the number you're going to send a text message to is the Faith Experiment number. It's 04 888 That's 04 If you're watching this online, you can see it on the bottom of the screen right now. And so you want to get your messaging app. That's who you're going to text it to. And then all you're going to put as a message is the code word SIGNS, S-I-G-N-S. Just type that in, nothing else. And then when you hit send, our um, SMS bot, you know, it's the year of AI. So we've got an AI bot that's waiting to receive your text. And it will know what you're asking for. And it's going to ask you for your name and your address. And then we will get that book out to you absolutely free. So again, text the code word SIGNS, S-I-G-N-S, to 4 Fantastic. And we'll have all of those details in the show notes. If you're listening to this uh, audio as a podcast, then uh, you're also entitled to uh, to this offer. Um, there's no catch. There's no hidden costs. It's absolutely free. Um, Robbie, look, I, I wish that we could have gotten to some Q&A. I know there's a couple of questions that have popped up. Um, apologies, we couldn't get to those. But I have so, so enjoyed our time together. Um, if you guys have not checked out the radio station in your local area, definitely do that. Check out the podcasts to dig into any more of the uh, amazing story that Robbie um, has experienced and explored through the faith experiment. Um, but apart from that, Robbie, thanks for spending this evening with us. I've had a, a great time and, uh, yeah, I know so many other people have as well. Hey, thanks for having me, Jess. It's been Brilliant. a pleasure. All right. And uh, by the way, we air we air your podcast on Faith of M, and it's a, a great show. So you check it out on Faith of M as well. The Signs of oh, the Times podcast. It's a it's a <laughs> it's a beautiful circle. <laughs> awesome. Cross collab, mate. Cross collab. It's the in thing to do these days. 100%. All right. Well, thank you everybody for tuning in. Uh, we will see you next time. Good night. This episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Signs of the Times magazine. A print subscription is $28 a year or just $14 for a digital subscription. To find out more, visit signsofthetimes.org.au.
This is an Adventist Media Podcast. 